No, Logan Roy died. Logan Roy died. <laughs> uh, spoiler alert. I should have said spoiler alert. Succession's good. I'm fully hooked. Documents were put on Discord. This would be a real wake-up call to tighten up the controls on. You will never get in trouble for overclassifying something. The Discord group that they met on was called Thug Shaker Central. It's just going straight from a 21-year-old airman's phone onto the internet. And that bothers me. Governments need to be able to keep secrets. Hi, I'm Thomas Chatterton Williams. And I'm Jeff Chatterton Mauer. I'm a writer. And I'm a comedian. And we host a podcast called Wrong Think. More of a question than a comment. In addition to being more of a question than a comment, it is also more of a podcast we want people to know about than just two guys talking into a microphone for no reason. So we'd like to ask you to please subscribe to the show. If you like the show, please share it with your friends. If you don't like the show, then please punish your enemies by sharing it with them. And also please rate us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get podcasts. Grinder, we got a lot of listeners on Grinder. The Wrong Think Podcast. Thinking, except bad. Thomas Chatterton Williams, is it okay if I'm sorry? Hang on. Woo! You're heroes. You're all heroes. Woo! We support you. Sorry about that. <laughs> hey, Thomas, you didn't stop cheering for the hospital shift workers during the shift chains, did you? Uh, was I not supposed to? No, you're not supposed to. They're heroes. Aren't you afraid <laughs> of COVID? Did you seriously stop? Man, I just heard my father mention today that there's still like 1,300 people dying a week of COVID-19. Yes! Uh, that's, that's crazy. That's why we need to cheer, because I don't know if you have talked to hospital workers, but like extra money, you know, they could take it or leave it. What they want to hear is they want to hear us cheer, and uh, that's why I'm still doing it every night. Good for you, even with a with a small child. That's brave. That's brave of you. Yeah, yeah. And you know what? I don't just do it during the shift change. I do it every hour on the hour. And sometimes in between. Yeah, I see. Yeah. But, uh, but okay, apparently you don't uh, care about America's heroes. I didn't know that about you. I do it in my own way. Oh, sure. Sure. That's just, uh, I think maybe you have adopted the sort of French uh, ennui, you know, not caring about things. And uh, clearly you are not supporting our heroes the way you need to. But that's fine. I care about when, my retirement. I don't judge you for it is what I'm saying. Don't, yeah, don't worry. Don't worry. I'm going to get back in check. <laughs> Your retirement at, at age uh, 49 or whatever it is in France. Thomas, did you have a good two weeks? I apologize to our listeners, by the way. We, we were off last week. We just couldn't make our schedules correspond. Thomas had obligations on two continents. I had a night I promised to play Mario Kart with my nephews. So both of us are super busy and uh, <laughs> we couldn't make it fit. Did you have a good two weeks, though, Thomas? I did. I had a, it feels like less than two weeks has passed, but you know, the news cycle doesn't stop and it's a different country now than it was last time we spoke. I can't even remember what was the, what was the crisis du jour two weeks ago, to be honest. It was Teapot Dome two weeks ago. God, that was a long time ago. Long time ago. Yeah. No, I don't know. It's the same. We did Trump last time. It was the same fucking. (laughs) And since then we have had two weeks of uh, lawyers on TV talking about whether the charges are any good or not, and we have not gotten any closer to an answer to that question, is my take on that. But Fox, in the, in the interim, Fox News lost almost $800 million settling their case with Dominion. So, you know, yeah. maybe that's a good sign that uh, things are trending towards, if not justice, towards some form of accountability in some corner of the universe. Maybe that's a sign, I hope. I'm clinging to it. Yeah, well, and also uh, Rupert Murdoch died. So the, I'm sorry, no, Logan Roy died. <laughs> Logan Roy died. Uh, spoiler alert. I should have said spoiler alert. No, his, yeah, his uh, TV world doppelganger died. I am glad to hear you're doing well. That came out of nowhere, too, by the way. That came out, I didn't expect that. That's, that's like decent TV writing because I thought for half of the show that they were just, that was some type of hoax and they were going to bring him back and he was playing his kids ah. or something like that. But he really died. Yeah. I was surprised. I, I was too. I was too. Yeah. yeah. Partly because it, it had kind of, it seemed like he had like a superpower because the show started, the instigating event was With like, oh, he's losing. Dead, yeah. These are his last moments. He's going downhill yeah. fast. And then he like walked it off which I have never seen happen with dementia. <laughs> For like two seasons, <laughs> two seasons walked it off. He wasn't just like getting by. He was like fully back in the game. 
Yeah. He was back in the game. He was a yeah. player again. He got a new girlfriend, <laughs> like right. had mad storylines happen. And then in the middle, you know, he just like goes out, sees his kids at a karaoke bar. And then like the next scene you catch him and he's on the ground getting CPR, or not CPR, whatever it is when they're yeah. pumping your chest, trying to revive your heart. It was crazy. That was surprising television. Yeah. No, I love it when shows do big things like happen in real life, like kill off a major character like that. Mm-hmm. because it keeps the stakes high, keeps you guessing. I, I honestly got a little bored with The Sopranos when I realized they, they simply can't kill off Tony Soprano so any or, or any of his family. I never thought they'd kill any of his family, and they didn't. So any feint in that direction, just I wasn't buying it. Yeah, last time, last show that had me like this was definitely Game of Thrones, where, where a main, major character could die at any any moment. Yes, because they killed Ned Stark. Another spoiler, though at this point, that's, it's been a decade. At this point, it's on you if you don't know that Ned Stark died. It's on you if you didn't read the books. Yeah, that's right. But uh, yeah, they did that in season one. You're like, oh shit, anybody could die. Yeah, it was great. <laughs> the guy whose face is on the cover of the DVD is dead in like the sixth episode or seventh episode of season one. Yeah, it was pretty yeah. impressive. I like that. Keep you on your toes. Yeah, Succession's good. I'm I'm fully hooked. Yeah, for the record, on American Auto, I have uh, argued for killing off all the characters. I just I wanted a total bloodbath, one by one. Lose one every week. Get down, get down to zero, and then the season ends six episodes sooner than you thought it would because all the characters are dead. They don't take my ideas, man. Yeah, I wonder. I wonder why. <laughs> all right. Why don't we get into it? Because we have got a lot to talk about today. Uh, a lot of stuff that's going to blow people's minds. For example, Russia is doing bad things. Can you believe that? Americans are getting shot. Also shocking. And the media is proving less than adept at handling race. All shocking issues that we will get to. But why don't we start with the thing that is, uh, it's been the big story of the past week and even week and change. This documents leak. Documents were put on Discord. For I made a joke about playing Mario Kart with my nephews. I seriously do play Minecraft with my nephews on Discord. It's that type of platform, except now there are also top secret Pentagon documents on Discord, and they have disclosed a lot about how the war in Ukraine is going and how we deal with our allies, specifically how we spy on them. My perception is that this leak, and specifically the leaker, is being received with much less people are a lot less favorable on this guy in this leak than they have been on previous leaks. Thomas, is that your perception as well? Yeah, I don't. I mean, I don't think that there's going to be a kind of I don't think he's going to get however many million followers Ed Snowden has at this point because he's some kind of hero. What Jack Texera was described as being a relatively inexperienced military, um, 21-year-old in the National Guard in Massachusetts, uh, but yet he had access to highly classified intelligence um, through what the Washington Post describes as the Defense Department's computer network known as the Joint Worldwide Intelligence Communication System, which I think this should be a real wake-up call to tighten up the controls on a relatively very unimportant <laughs> member of the forces is, is touching documents that can actually create a rift between an important ally like South Korea and the United States of America. Something it's is really true. crazy. Yeah. 21, you have just recently been able to legally get your hands on a bottle of Everclear, but you can also, if, apparently if you're this guy, access top secret documents. Seems like a, a bit of a bad decision, especially in hindsight. Yeah. And he doesn't sound great the way that his friends describe him. Doesn't sound him. like a, I agree. Oh, the Post, the Washington Post reporting was containing lots of lots of nuggets. Uh, one friend uh, from the Discord group where the documents were dumped uh, described Tixera as patriotic, a devout Catholic, and a libertarian with an interest in guns and doubts about America's future. This friend said that he met Mr. Tixera before 2020 on a Discord server mainly focused on guns and libertarian politics and bonded over their shared interest in Glock handguns and Catholicism. And I believe that the, <laughs> the, the, the Discord group that they met on was called Thug Shaker Central. Thug Shaker Central was the name of the group, the name of the server. Thug Shaker Central. Yeah, huh. Tixera was known to, <laughs> to shout anti-Semitic and racist slurs while pointing rifles in his avatar pictures. Did you say Dominican uh, slurs? No, anti-Semitic. Anti-Semitic slurs. Okay, all right, all right. All right. And racist I mean, you know, yeah, I'm yeah. against both, but I would be more intrigued by an anti-Dominican slur because like, wow, that is specific. You got a real specific form of racism. <laughs> would be interesting. Oh, Latvians! <laughs> Nobody gets that specific. It's, it's interesting. 
but okay anti-semitism well that's that's old stuff i don't you know been there done that been around for a while yeah that's been around i think it's definitely true that one of the reasons this guy is not being received well is because of all the shit you just read he vibes he's not the type of guy i would like to hang out with a lot of people on the left are going to hear all the things you just said and think this is a this is a bad dude you know anti-semite gun dude hates dominicans and uh think this is not anything i can get behind whereas with previous leaks it kind of depended on how you felt about the content and the person i think we we can surely agree that you should be able to separate your feeling about the leak and whether the leak is a good thing or a bad thing, whether it has a public service element or whether it's just national secrets being thrown out there for everyone to see. You should be able to separate that from your feelings about the person. Your feelings about the person should not make any difference, right? That's kind of Glenn Greenwald's take, it seems to me, on this. Oh, man. <laughs> well, I mean, Glenn is, Glenn's a guy, you know, I, I've been friendly with uh, over the past couple of years. His, his politics diverges from mine in many ways. Mm. I personally find something pretty incredible about the degree to which he sticks to a principle on this issue specifically. Well, he's certainly got a dog in this fight. I mean, big time. Yeah. If people don't remember, Glenn Greenwald was the guy that Ed, Edward Snowden leaked his stuff through. Yeah, and he became really beloved on the left at the time for that. And he's kind of taken a turn where he's a bugaboo for the left yeah. these days and, and more comfortable on Tucker Carlson, but still would consider himself on the left, though. And, and he would consider himself, you know, very committed to the cause of the ability to blow whistles and to leak. And, you know, he's been he, I haven't seen other people really making this case, but Glenn tweeted just a couple hours ago that the Washington Post worked to expose the identity of the leaker, and then with him out of the way, arrested by the FBI, somehow assumed exclusive control of the Discord leaks and is doling them out in accordance with the CIA DHS agenda. And that's one of the most bizarre things I've seen, he tweets. Um, and then previously he was tweeting, you know, corporate journalists went to the Pentagon today to angrily demand they find ways to clamp down on secrets and ensure that no more leaks can happen. One specifically demanded they monitor Discord. Congrats to the journalists for, letting, for getting less transparency and more monitoring. And then, you know, he, he also tweeted the following day after that one, what's the only thing more surreal and twisted than watching journalists become the leading advocates for more online censorship? Watching them do the FBI's work to hunt down leakers, then march to the Pentagon to demand it do more to prevent future transparency and leaks. That's It's interesting because it is really the Washington Post that broke it and then the New York Times that actually published um, Texera's identity before the authorities even had it. So Glenn seems pretty committed to a principle that, you know, we should be having a conversation not about Texera at all, but about the state of disarray in Ukraine that some of the documents reveal about some of the pressure the United States exerts on allies and the spying on allies and larger issues. And we're getting caught up in whether this guy was stupid and trying to impress some potentially racist and certainly nerdy teenagers in really lamely uh, monikered Discord groups. It's an interesting question. I mean, I'm of two minds about that. I, I, I don't really, I think that um, governments need to be able to keep secrets. Uh, I, I don't have, I don't share the commitment to leaking at all costs that kind of extraordinary anti-government or government skeptical contingent has in this debate. I, I, I don't even feel... In the previous leaking stories with Snowden or Chelsea with um, uh, Chelsea Manning, that the leaks were necessarily justified. Governments really do have national security interests, and that's not yeah. just some bullshit. Yeah. You know, it, you know what what you just said. Governments have national security interests, and that's not just some bullshit. That's one thing I wish we had got on the John Oliver episodes about Edward Snowden that we did, which I was heavily involved in. It, it became kind of like one of the areas that, you know, if a writer has written on something previously, they go back to that same writer. So it's it's one of the areas I got kind of mm -hmm. caught up in. It was such a tricky issue for me because, all right, so first of all, I worked in government for nine years. Everyone who worked in government and I was at the EPA, so, you know, I'm not handling state secrets on a daily basis or really ever once in nine years. But everyone in government knows overclassification is a problem. I, I literally I don't think I've ever met anyone who works in government or has worked in government and doesn't understand that, yeah, overclassification is a problem. I mean, think about the incentive. If you are handling classified documents and you have to declare something classified or not classified, well, if you declare it not classified and then it gets out and later somebody says, that should have been classified. 
you're in trouble. If you go the other direction, you'll never get in trouble. You never, never, you will never get in trouble for right. overclassifying something. So overclassification, legit problem. And by the way, this relates to some of the news stories that have been big in recent years, like Hillary Clinton's email server and four of the documents that went through her email server were labeled top secret. And it was hard for people in government to say like, yeah, but there's like secret and then there's secret, you know? Same thing with some of these records right, that have been right. found at, you know, at Joe Biden and Trump's and uh, I think George W. Bush was the other one. There are levels of secret. There's that. But also, even though that is the case, I am also not comfortable with the idea that one person can just unilaterally decide to leak something. And I think we have not found an appropriate balance between access to information from the public and making sure that it making it sure that it's possible for the government to keep secrets because again the government does need to keep secrets sometimes some of this stuff some of the stuff that came out in this leak it was the transportation of ammunition to ukraine like the location of munitions of weaponry Mm -hmm. going to ukraine it's like that is not a good thing to have out there that is not a good thing for the public to know Uh, there are many things that you know people said russia could deduce how we are collecting our intelligence based on this information. Based on what we have, they might be able to figure out how we got it. That is a bad thing. When Snowden happened, people said, well, you know, he's going through journalists. That journalist was, well, Glenn Greenwald and Laura Poitros. But for me, those aren't sources that make me think, okay, well, great. Well, I am going to sleep well at night because Glenn Greenwald is filtering things and making sure no bad stuff gets out there. But that is the system that people seem to have some level of comfort with. You know, the Pentagon Papers that went through the New York Times, they're like, well, it's at least getting filtered through someone. Here we have documents going straight onto Discord, straight onto a a server. Yeah. If it was any server, it'd be bad. But used by gamers, that makes it seem somewhat worse. The idea that there's any filtering and that there is any gatekeeping, any gatekeeper you might trust who's maybe keeping the bad stuff from getting out there and making sure that only the stuff that has legitimate public interest, that only that stuff gets through. That whole idea, I think, is now completely crumbled because it's just going straight from a 21-year-old airman's phone onto the internet. And that bothers me. I mean, that should bother everybody. And what's really crazy is that it had just been out there for a while before it was actually discovered. It was out there for several weeks before one of the members of this Discord group brought it into another group. And the alleged reason that Texera had for sharing it was to try to educate some of his younger friends about what's going on in the country and in the world. I mean, uh, <laughs> I'm sorry. Like, this guy, <laughs> this kid needs to be locked. Lock this kid yeah, up. It's a crime. And what's crazy is he comes from a family. Uh, he comes from a family that has served. His stepdad served for like 34 years with distinction. His mother even had some involvement in, in military affairs. I mean, the fact that this kid thought that this was in any way an appropriate thing to do is just, it's mind-blowing, but it shows that like all bets are off with this stuff. I mean, it really ultimately comes down to the government has real problems if they can't make a system where this kid doesn't have access to those documents and the ability to just disseminate them. And then the government has to scramble to do damage control after he does. I mean, yeah, that makes me feel a little bit less confident about <laughs> about the military. I feel okay with a system that gives 21-year-olds access to literally nothing whatsoever. I mean, it, the first question on the, uh, you know, the interview when they try to determine whether you are a national security threat should maybe be, can you rent a car legally? And if you can't, because you're not 25, then you know what? You also, 26 you years also old. can't access state secrets. Because what is a, what good is a 21-year-old going to do with it? Nothing. I was very lonely at last week tonight when I was like, I think maybe Snowden should face charges. And I was torn because there was some public interest value in what he leaked. There was value. But uh, I... You can't just unilaterally decide. Yeah, that can't be the system. And again, this argument got no purchase on the show when I was there. But that can't be the system where just somebody decides. Damn, that show was woke. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it, no. It really was. But John went to <laughs> Russia and interviewed Edward Snowden. It was a, yeah, it was a whole, we did a lot of stuff on it. Wow. I, it's, let, let me also say though, I don't want to be an absolutist about this. I think Glenn Greenwald seems to have represented one poll of, you know, just everything should be out there. <laughs> Nothing should be secret. I also don't want to yeah, go to the yeah. other poll, which is it's fine if everything's secret. There is no public interest value. There, there certainly are cases that you want information to be out there. Leaks can be good things. The Pentagon Papers is kind of a classic example of this. And I just think, I think we need to start grappling with how do we strike that balance and recognize that that balance 
presently is way, 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 way off. Yeah, I think we're really out of whack with the kind of the vigilante leaker who thinks they're going to save the country or educate their small group of friends, as the case may be, um, and and just takes it upon themselves and sees a different standard for themselves because they know what they're doing and they know what's right or wrong. I mean, it's utterly um, preposterous. I hope they make a real example out of this kid. And somebody's got to explain to me um, how that happened in the first place and how it's not going to happen again. Right. We we have now perhaps experienced the worst possible motivation for leaking things to impress your friends on Discord. I think that ranks even below trying to impress some girl in terms of a motivation. It's got to be the silliest reason for leaking in the history yep. of leaks. I mean, yep. It's really up yep, there. Agreed. Why don't we move on to a different thing involving Russia? Evan Gerskovich is a reporter for the Wall Street Journal. He is presently being held... For espionage, on espionage charges in Russia, suffice it to say, you know what, Thomas, I don't, I think he might be innocent. I think perhaps he is not guilty of espionage. I think, hear me out here, these might be trumped up charges by the Russian government because they want to use him as a bargaining chip. Am I insane? I think it's hard to even know if they want to use him as a bargaining chip or if they're just lashing out at somebody mm-hmm. really unlucky. Evan, I haven't met him, but we have uh, several friends in common, including my best friend. is really quite close with Evan and has known him for years in Moscow. And it's really sad. I mean, he was on the phone with his family the day it happened and the next day and calling lawyers and trying to understand what could be done. And he's not the only one. A lot of a lot of journalists have been mobilized around this. I mean, this is not even a kind of absurd injustice like when Brittany Griner was thrown into jail with a 10-year sentence over her head for having a little bit of vaping oil. I mean, Evan was simply doing his job. He had received clearance from um, the ministry in Russia that grants journalists, foreign journalists, permission. And, you know, he was a good reporter, an honest reporter, And he was made an example of, and he's looking at 20 years, and almost anybody charged with espionage does not get a not guilty verdict. It's quite crazy. It's very difficult for people that know him. He's 31 years old. It's difficult for people that know him to believe he's in this situation. And actually, I was talking to my buddy just to, no, really seriously, I was talking with my buddy just just a week before this all happened. And the sense was that you could go into Moscow and you could report on these stories and that there was a line that would not be crossed. It hadn't been crossed since 1976 at the height of the Cold War. Mm -hmm. And he himself was making plans to report out there and in somewhat similar um, subject matter to what uh, Evan was doing. And, you know, I think about that. It's really crazy. It could have been my my buddy, my daughter's godfather. Jeez. It's just the roll of the dice, the fate. It's really, it's it's crazy. It's tragic. I mean, I'm making jokes, but it is tragic. And... A line has been crossed. That's why this is so newsworthy. It is bad to arrest a WNBA star on bullshit marijuana charges. I mean, vape oil. Come on. That'll barely even get you high. It is substantially worse to arrest a journalist on bullshit charges because of the chilling effect it has on other journalists, which is one one assumes very much Russia's exactly what's intent happened. here. It's, um, I obviously am very troubled by this. It's as... Many issues relating to Russia, Ukraine right now are. This is one where people, I'm loath to say this, but like there kind of aren't two sides. You know, people aren't really debating like, no, I think it's good that he was taken prisoner. No, everyone's pretty much on the same page here. I wonder if this is uh, Russia taking an even more aggressive posture towards us because it's hard to imagine Russia being more aggressive, but the, the way they could become more aggressive is to be more aggressive towards us. You know, we are fighting this proxy war at the moment. The bigger worry is that it could become a hot war. I wonder if this is a symptom of them moving closer towards confronting us more directly. I certainly hope not. I hope it is normal run-of-the-mill shittiness from Vladimir Putin. I mean, it's really, it's shocking to everybody that I've spoken about it with and who I've read or heard discuss the matter that has knowledge. I mean, it's it's really something that doesn't happen. It's it's aggressive to the point of really making possible certain scenarios that you don't want on the table of escalation. And the level 
of um, prisoner swap that Russia was able to obtain the last time around yeah. with Brittany Griner was so extreme. I mean, they got Victor Boot. The guy is the model of Nicholas's Ca- Nicholas Cage's character in God of War. I mean, the guy is like a supervillain, level bad arms dealer. I didn't. I, yeah. Is that Nicholas Cage thing true? I didn't know that. Yeah, he's the, Victor Boot is the basis of that character. Wow. Um, I mean, really, really extraordinary guy that, that sold weapons to people who, who had the intent to harm America. Yeah. No, that's incredible. And if I think if Nicolas Cage can convincingly portray you, you are by definition a madman. Because that guy <laughs> does not play it small. He can only play extreme characters. It's um no, Victor. Have you seen pictures of Victor Boot? I mean, that guy is an extreme looking character. He's an extraordinary bad looking dude. Yeah, he really is. If you saw him, you know, if you were at a TCBY and you saw him in there, you'd think that guy's an arms dealer right there. He just has that look. I mean, one of the few people that you could see at a TCBY and you would say, I think that guy might (laughs) be an arms dealer. International weapons. Most people in at least the TCBYs (laughs) that I go into, they don't have that vibe. It's not that type of place. Very few Bond movies yeah, he, set he in a TCBY, like- for example. You know, I, I was, of course, thinking about Brittany Griner in relation to this. There is one person, at least, who thinks this is probably a bargaining chip situation. That person is Jason, I always get this name wrong, Rezai, I should spell it, Rezaian, R-E-Z-A-I-A-N. Uh, solidarity for having a difficult to read last name, Jason. But Jason Rezaian of the Washington <laughs> Post was held in Iran for 554 days. He wrote an op-ed yeah. in the Washington Post, which I think I think if you're Jason, I bet the Washington Post was like, "Hey, Jason, uh, why don't you write about that thing this week?" It, you know, he's like, "No, I want to write about the NHL playoffs." <laughs> They're like, "No, you should really write about the thing that happened to you and is happening again." But he was held in Iran for 544 days. Wrote an op-ed saying the good news, or what qualifies for good news in this situation, is that he believes Russia is unlikely to do anything to Evan Gershkovitz because they want him as a bargaining chip. So they're going to keep him alive, keep him healthy, because they want to use him as a bargaining chip. So that is his theory about what's going on here. That, of course, made me think about Brittany Griner. Do you think that perhaps because Russia did so well in that exchange, now they're going, oh, let's try it again? Is that possibly what's going on here? How plausible does that sound? It sounds plausible to me that they were emboldened. I think that um, a lot of people were trying to say that uh, just because someone's a celebrity, just because, you know, it's really sad and, and messed up what happened, you might not just immediately rush to swap anybody at any level, just to get the person home. I mean, there are other Americans, Paul Whelan comes to mind. There are other Americans who have been stuck in Russia under very dubious circumstances for far longer than Brittany Griner. I mean, they, the Biden administration made it a real priority to do everything they could to get her out, which on the personal level, on the human level, of course, you're happy to have her home. But on the larger level that one has to think about when one is, you know, performing statecraft, um, it certainly seems like Russia was emboldened, was certainly not afraid to snatch up Americans, understood that certain people will be prioritized. In the similar way, you could say that there are real repercussions for the way that the Biden administration pulled out of Afghanistan. You know, these things don't happen in vacuums. People pay attention to what uh, it signals. And Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that, you know, it's open season on Americans in Russia. I think it's also really short-sighted on Russia's part. I mean, what major American corporation or Western European corporation is going to feel comfortable doing business in Moscow or sending employees over there? I mean, none of them can right now, but you're right in in the future, yeah. In the future, though, even, I mean, this is not a place that respects basic norms that you need to make, you know, an international business environment. You know, it's it's really shocking. Uh, people that have reported in Russia for many years um, did not believe that they would cross that line the way that they have. So I have to, no reason to believe that they weren't emboldened by what happened when they did this uh, to Brittany Griner and they got the response that they were given. Yeah, I mean, I agree. If my job suddenly transferred me to Smolensk, and hey, look, the way TV writing is going these days, don't rule that out. If that happened, I would say, yeah, I don't, uh, you know, I, I don't really want to do that. I think you're gonna have to give me some hazard pay at a minimum. Yeah, it's a gigantic problem. Although I guess, I mean, if attracting American business was Vladimir Putin's top priority, he probably wouldn't have done any of the things that he has done in the last year and change. Yeah. It is kind of... That's true. I mean, a lot of lines have been crossed. Yeah. Though you are also right that like, here's yet another one. There's probably no coming back for this, not in any of our lifetimes. But um. It is the classic dilemma with a hostage situation, isn't it? 
your impulse is to say, just do whatever it takes because you feel for the person, obviously. In any hostage situation, you imagine, oh my God, what if it was my wife? What if it was my child? What if even worse than that was me? You would want them to immediately, like, just pay the money. Just do whatever it takes from the Brittany Griner situation. Like, just give them whatever they want. Just do whatever it takes. But there is this meta game where if you give them what they want, then they become more likely to do it again. This, that may be what happens here. Obviously, none of us know. This could be part of Russia's crackdown on journalists. Just as they are cracking down on journalists within Russia, Russian journalists in Russia and other dissenters in Russia. So I don't think we can draw a straight line from Brittany Griner to this. But it certainly does make me wonder about what is the optimal strategy in these situations. I certainly don't have an answer to that question. I, I, I think my only point is anyone who thinks it's simple is, is simple themselves. Well, I would say one thing, um, you know, it was amazing to see Evan in the dock the other day. He looked well. He, he did not look like his spirit was broken. And, you know, you can write to him at Letters for Evan. It's a website. Um, they're collecting letters and he, it seems that he is able to read them and they're oh. heartening. So um, I'm going to write him one. And I encourage anybody listening who's so moved to do that, too. I think those things actually mean more than you can imagine. That is a great idea. And that was Letters to Evan. LettersforEvan.com, I believe. It's yeah. I, I, You know what? I said Letters to Evan because my mind immediately went to the 90s band Letters to Cleo, who you should also write to, I think. Not a lot of people have been getting in touch with Letters to Cleo recently, I imagine. So I think once you get into the letter writing mode, do Evan first, Letters for Evan, and then I would write to Letters for Cleo. <laughs> do you have any fucking idea what I'm talking about, Thomas? Do you remember Letters to Cleo at all? I have no clue. I mean, that the <laughs> segregation, cultural segregation is real. I wasn't exposed to that level of white culture growing up. Why do you just assume letters to Cleo are white, Thomas? They, they are white. They're, they're very white. They're <laughs> I'm Googling them right now. They're whiter than I remembered. All five of them. You can never assume, but I took an educated guess. Yeah. I will say, I don't think you're actually a victim of uh, cultural segregation there. I think nobody remembers Letters to Cleo except for me. I think you ask a thousand white people. White people no. don't remember this either. I've been riffing now for three minutes on a band nobody remembers, which means it's probably time to go on to the next topic. Next topic, ugh, it's always shooting. It's hard as a comedian. It's always these shootings. It's hard for everybody. I would say these shooting victims are the real victims here, but it's just, there's nothing funny about a shooting. We have two that made big headlines this week. One was a teenager. Oh, how old was this kid? I don't have this in my notes. How old was he? 15 or something? I think he was 16, 16 years yeah, old. A, a teenage kid knocked on a door Ralph in Missouri. The guy whose house it was, he, he the, the kid had the wrong address. He was supposed to go to Terrace Street. He went to Terrace Way. The guy inside, 84, this person's age I do have, 84 years old, shot him. He looks like a villain as well. I mean, he looks like an absolute caricature of a bad dude, the guy who shot him. Yeah, I've Googled that guy as well. Uh, I'm, I'm comfortable convicting people on how they look. And yeah, I say guilty. Yeah, R Ralph Yarl is 16. 16. Okay. Yeah. That's um, so. Ralph Yarl. I'm against that. We should, we should out, the kid did live. He is alive. So there's that. The other. Miraculously. Yeah, because he was shot in the head and the hand? Yeah, he was shot in the head, and he was able to get up and run to a house and get help. Yeah. Uh, 16 years old. Well, I was going to say it's hard to understand what the solution is in a country where so many people have guns, and, and I think they're really hyped up off of, you know, some of the things that have been on my mind a lot recently, like the way that edge cases are played over and over again on Fox News and mm -hmm. on the internet of home invasions and crime and people are kind of um, programmed to fear so much that a black 16-year-old comes up to a guy's door and his first thought is that it's a home invasion and he just blasts first without asking a question later. Yeah. And then, you know, the second shooting that gained attention, though not as much this week, was a 20-year-old girl uh, called Kaylin Griffin, who was in the passenger seat while her boyfriend was driving upstate New York. Kaylin Griffin and her boyfriend, they pull into a 65-year-old man named Kevin Monahan driveway. And, you know, he just comes out and he bucks two shots into the car and kills Kaylin without anybody ever having even stepped out of the car. Yeah. Um, now, it's true that there were several cars. They were looking for a party, and they were turned around, and there was a motorcycle. And he says that, you know, he felt that 
he was in danger. There was a motorcycle and two cars revving and coming in his lawn. And so he came out to defend himself. I mean, this is the level of fear, of isolation, of removal from any neighborly sensibility we like to think used to exist. And, and just a shoot first, ask questions later mentality. What's the angle that I would say I'm struggling with that is a form of wrong think is it has nothing to do with... Um, the sympathy I feel for these two very young victims. I mean, one was 16, but one was only 20. Neither of them are even old enough to be the age of the guy who leaked the documents on Discord, who is a kid himself, basically, you know? I mean, these are young people, all of them. But the way that the media covers the two cases that are almost identical, but the girl died, is that there's a racial angle to to Ralph Yarl's case, and there's no racial angle to the white man, Blake Walsh, who shot Keelan Griffin. And so on the New York Times is, you know, scroll on the app, there's a big picture of Ralph Yarl, there's a big headline, and then just the next story in small font is a pictureless, photoless, you know, article about Keelan Griffin. And the coverage for Ralph Yarl has just been extraordinary, enormous. And I don't think there's any good way to get shot uh, on a stranger's front yard, let alone to be killed that way. But it does make me question our commitment to driving a racial narrative at all costs and kind of um, needing to prioritize racial angles. I don't think that mm -hmm. if you're shot that you would be sitting on the ground and wondering if it were better or worse if there are a racial angle. I question why for us to care about certain things, there must be a racial angle or for, or for it to be considered newsworthy or why examining questions that are uh, questions of atrocities, why the racial lens when it is, it, why it is the most important thing that can happen. Why is it not just one thing among many? Yeah, it, it is what people gravitate towards, isn't it? And I think is almost certainly what's behind the disparity in, or at least what I perceive as the disparity, and if, you know, I'm sure if you could measure this, it would be there, in, in the coverage, in the coverage of the two cases, which are very similar. They're both shockingly terrible. In case anyone is unclear on any element of this, no, no homes were entered. Nobody entered any house. It was just people getting near a house and somebody inside freaking out and shooting, and in one case, injuring, and in one case, killing. A young person. Yeah, they're both shocking cases. There is the the racial element, and that is what pushes it as a news story to some extent. I was. It is. Uh, yeah, it is right. But then, but then, all right. So that, that was advocate here, though. But there is a racial element to the one in Missouri, probably. Right? Like probably. We can't say for sure. And you know, there will be a trial. This guy. These people have been charged, by the way. Like there will be trials. We will find out what he has to say for himself. It is probably the case that if you are not black and you show up and knock on that door, that guy doesn't shoot at you, right? So there probably is a racial element to it. We're talking right now about a white guy who just blasted uh, a car full of white kids. Yeah. You know, these things happen. Just, you know, once, once the story went viral, a bunch of people, when I tweeted about it, a bunch of people started sharing the story of a woman in Phoenix who is clearly brown-skinned, who, who in a very similar situation shot a 12-year-old white kid who was rummaging through her yard and claimed self-defense and killed him. I mean, these things happen. Sometimes they happen um, across racial lines. The question that I really have is why, if it does cross racial lines, is that the most important lens through which we can analyze any occurrence, any question? John McWhorter, a friend of mine, has often made the case that for any atrocity that you can think of in modern, in contemporary America, I'm, I'm not dismissing the fact that the country has a history of racism that does bear on the present significantly. But for any situation you can think of, you can think of a situation that also happened to a white person. Yeah. So the, the classic one that's always brought up is, you know, several years before George Floyd died the way he did, Tony Timpa right. went through the exact same situation. Uh, cops laughing while while he's saying he can't breathe and he dies yes, on camera. And very few people know the name Tony Timpa. They only learned, the people who learned it only learned it when, when it happened to George Floyd and yeah. very few people still know it and, and no one really cares. You can say that that's justified based on the historical treatment of African-Americans in America and to an extent, of course that's true. But I just don't understand how we're going to get past some of this stuff if we always make sure we only pay attention 
when there's a racial angle to any type of story. When the shooter in Georgia shot up a bunch of massage parlors and there was supposed to be an angle that it was an anti-Asian hate spree, no one wanted to hear the fact that he was saying that it was a a problem of sex That was one of the worst examples of media misbehavior with regard to a shooting. Yes. For real? That was just mind-blowing how quickly, I remember this happening in real time, how quickly the media seized on the Asian hate, wave of Asian hate narrative, because they were already Mm -hmm. doing that narrative, Mm -hmm. and then that happened, and they're like, this is part of it, this is part of it, even though, as you said, very early on, we had the shooter describing a different motive, and two of the victims were white, and you could almost sense an air of disappointment among many in the media, and whenever we talk about the media, we always have to point out, media is big, it's a lot of people, some of them doing a great job, some of them not so much, but a lot of people in the media really tried hard to make that, this is part of the wave of Asian hate narrative, and it was ridiculous, because there is, a, I should, let me say this, this is a wrong thing, so we're trying to <laughs> say what shouldn't be said, there's a very cynical answer to your question of why why do people focus on race, specifically, and maybe at the exclusion of all other things, when these things happen. And the cynical answer is because they're trying to make hay out of it. They've got some narrative they want to push. Exactly. Right? That's what's going on. We all know this on some level, right? We do, but I don't think it's helping our our democracy. I I don't think it's helping all of the people that they see. There is an agenda. There are always framing things in a particular way. And if it doesn't fit the ready-made narrative, it isn't newsworthy. And no one's talking about the latest atrocity that's trending that just happened in Chicago that no mainstream outlet will even report on, which is this couple that was mobbed and attacked by teenagers. I don't know this story. And just... There's stuff happening every single day. And I can tell you, you know, it it breaks my heart. What was that story? That was the Chicago thing. The Chicago Police Department is launching an internal investigation after a couple that was attacked and robbed by a mob of people during last week's, quote, large group incident in the loop told media outlets that Chicago police officers drove right past them as the attack was in progress. A woman who witnessed the crime said a CPD unit literally drove around her as she tried to get them to help the victims. Ashley Knudsen, 20, and her boyfriend, Devante DJ Johnson, 22, said they were looking for a place to eat after shopping in the Loop when they encountered a group of people on the sidewalk in the 100 block of North Wabash. Johnson lives in Chicagoland and Knudsen was visiting from South Carolina. We were trying to, t- to walk through the crowd and I was holding his hand and he was walking in front of me. Knudsen said, first they shoved him and then they ended up shoving me too. I said, DJ, I just got pushed. And he turned around and said, don't put your hands on her, Knudsen said. And as soon as he said that, everything went crazy. They were kicking and punching me and I just had to get to defense. Can't do much when there's 20 people on you. By the time it was over, the couple had been robbed of their phones, shoes, and wallets. While the couple was being attacked, Lenora Dennis stepped out of Macy's across the street and couldn't believe her eyes. The video is really crazy. It shows 20 people choking and just pummeling. Jesus. This little woman, this small, physically petite woman as well as her boyfriend. I mean, you can just every day, and I have to say that, you know, it breaks my heart. And this is something that Glenn Lowry has has said over and over again. And, you know, it's hard to say, but had uh, Ralph Yarl opened the door in Chicago in any number of places, and the man who opened the door did not look like the white villain that shot him, had he been racialized as black in the same way as Ralph Yarl is, had he been brown-skinned, I don't think we would be talking about it right now. I don't think we'd be reading about it. Probably true. Probably true. Do you think that I'm correct that you are more likely to, I mean, getting shot is awfully extreme, but it is a version of people are, people are more afraid of you if you're black, especially if you're a black man. So are, do you think I'm right that you are more likely to get shot in that situation, knock it on the wrong door if you're black? Because we, we agree that it, it obviously can happen to anybody, can happen victim, perpetrator, any mix. You never know when you're going to encounter somebody who is, who's, thought process is non-existent. But I think you're more likely to get shot if you're if you're black because people are, see you as scary. Do you think that's true? It stands to a certain common sense, but numerically it happens very, very rarely. That is not how most uh, black people get shot, unfortunately, sadly. What am I saying? Unfor- there's no good way for anybody to get shot. What is sad is that that is not the way that most black people get shot. They get shot like all racial groups by people intraracially, not interracially. The person on the planet most likely to shoot me by miles is my wife. (laughs) 
<laughs> That's right, actually. Someone close to you, by far. And that would be true far. even if you didn't know how annoying I am. And uh, yeah, and categorically, uh, yes, yeah, somebody of your own race is most likely to shoot you. It is. It does seem kind of fucked up, doesn't it? That it is almost like the shooting is not what people want to report on sometimes. It's the racial angle. And it's like, no, it should be. It's the it's shooting. The it's the angle. bullet entering your body. That's the that's the problem. They're at least the primary problem. The race stuff. It's like. You- and the, the fact that Americans are so trigger happy, so violent and have so much access to such deadly weapons. You know, this, the question I keep circling around is why is racism? Uh, why do we frame stories in such a way that racism is perceived to be the worst thing that can happen to you? It is not the worst thing that can happen to you. Being shot in someone's driveway, whether they are of the same or a different race than you, is the worst thing that can happen to you and dying from that. Drawn and quartered is no fun. Iron Maiden crushed by a rock. Yeah, there's there's lots of bad things in, in social life, in our politics, in the human condition. I'm not convinced that the most important or the worst thing at all times is racism. It's bad. It's one of many bad things. It is bad. I don't think you're saying racism is cool and fine and we should all roll with it. That's not my interpretation of what you're saying. Definitely yeah. not. Definitely not. But it's very bizarre that it's become the, the God we worship. It's the only thing. It's for, for some people, it's all they want to talk about. For some people, it's the only way they see the world. I think a lot of what happened there is because racism has been such a gigantic problem in this country. I mean, think about like how difficult it would be in the 1950s, especially, you know, in certain parts of the country in the 1950s, how difficult it would be to overstate the level of racism. That'd be real hard to do. If you were using the most extreme language you could think of, you were talking about it all the time, you would probably be accurately describing the amount of racism that was happening in that place at that time. And I think because of that, because it was so important for, you know, for progress in this country to make that such a big, bad thing, we are still kind of, we haven't kind of right-sized it yet. We're, we're sort of not talking right. about it in the terms and the levels and the amounts that probably fit more appropriately. It's almost like we had stage five cancer. Is five the worst? Is it like hurricanes? What's the worst stage of cancer? I believe stage five is the worst. Okay. Let's go with five. Neither was our doctor, but let's say whatever the worst stage of cancer is, it's like we had that stage of cancer. So we were getting the maximum chemo and time went by and the chemo sort of worked. So we're no longer at stage five. The appropriate level of chemo would be a lower dose at this point. That's the analogy I would draw. And we're kind of slow to mm-hmm. slow to realize sometimes. And, and can I say what? Yeah, that's a good analogy. Thank actually. You. That's a very good analogy and way of thinking about it. And one that also comes to mind is something, you know, I've been thinking about this uh, MIT physicist, um, Max Tegmark, who was on uh, Lex Paulson recently, really liked his discussion. It was in the context of AI, but it's really um, a principle that holds more broadly. He was quoting another researcher who made the point that whenever, or proved mathematically even, that whenever you optimize for a certain goal, there is a point at which reaching the goal turns into some counterintuitive returns and eventually can even be, can bring you the opposite of the objective you sought to pursue in the first place. So he gave a very basic example, like you're in DC, I'm in New Jersey. I want to get down to you. I optimize for heading South. And there's a point at which I get really close to you. And then if I don't make some readjustments and change the measurements, my optimizing for going South to get to DC will have me going down to Argentina. You feel me? Like literally this happens with all types of things. And it was in the course of talking about AI, but I think you could talk about it in the course of solving for racism too. We're trying to get as close as possible to um, a society that's equal and fair and we keep going, but we're not readjusting and tweaking some of these things as we get closer and closer. And we're getting, I think, into a situation where we're driving past the goal and we're starting to pull away. And this has nothing to do with the tragedy of what happened to Ralph Yarl beautiful looking boy who did not deserve what happened to him. But I do think that when you look at the size of the country and you look at all of what's going on and you can find examples of the same exact things happening that do not fit a specific racial frame that we pay attention to, that violate the narrative in certain ways or just don't bring the kind of narrative payoffs that we look for. I think we're doing ourselves a disservice. And this is kind of the same way that we take edge cases and make them the entirety of the, the story in ways that villainize Blacks. And I think actually in a weird way, it's the same dynamic that led that man to think any black person standing on his door is coming there to rob him. We take edge cases and we make it 
standing for the whole. And we have to start seeing reality in a more complicated way and paying attention to other things that matter and other things that happen that don't fit into this um, specific black-white binary that the country seems to filter every aspect of its reality yeah. through. Well, I, I agree. And I feel like I should say one more thing that has to be included in any discussion of race in the media when you're asking why do people go to that lens? Clicks, man. Clicks. I, I was in yeah. liberal media land. That shit plays. And it plays not only in terms of attention, but in terms of good liberal cred. You get to be a serious exactly. person. Hey, we're going to, you know what? You occasionally see people even go this route. You know what? I'm tired of being afraid of talking about this. I'm going to, you know what? I'm going to talk about it. I think there's too much racism. It's like the dumbest attempt at status. <laughs> but you get to be like a serious, hey, this is like, this has got to stop, oh, yeah. man. This has got to stop. So yeah, that's one of the reasons people go for that narrative is because it fucking plays. Yeah. If you want to talk about what's got to stop, I would say being such a trigger happy, heavily armed, terrified, isolated, you know, mediatized uh, society in which so many people all across the country can clap at you for just approaching their home without asking questions or even hearing you speak. I would say that that's the problem that's got to stop and we don't talk about enough. But uh, it's Fair it's point. easier to say that the country is is racist and to try to make that the story than to talk about the degree to which it's chaotic and and extraordinarily violent, and uh, I don't see it getting better right now. I mean, it would be interesting if we could do a show that didn't touch on some aspect of American gun violence, but <laughs> that's not where we are. Trump and gun violence are the things that, oh, we can we can set out with the goal of not talking about Trump and not talking about people getting shot. And let me reiterate, as a comedian, those right. are the two things I do not want to talk about anymore, and yet they are the things that keep being in the headlines. But you know what? I, I, I hear what you're saying. I agree. We should be better neighbors and in, in, in the interest of promoting a less violent culture. When I cheer for the hospital workers as they change shifts, which I'm going to do in just a few minutes here, I will refrain from shooting my gun in the air, which I have been doing just to let them know how much I support their work. But you know what? I think I'm going to leave it to, to pots and pans and yelling from now on. Yeah, that's an improvement. I mean, I remember DC when the team was the Washington Bullets, man. <laughs> I, I do too. <laughs> There's no shortage of licking shots in the DC night sky. Yeah, I gotta say they haven't been good <laughs> since they've been the Wizards. Maybe they should go back to being the Bullets. I don't, you know, that's but that's a whole other can of worms. Thomas, yeah. I'm glad we got to do this this week. We should make our schedules coincide more often. We didn't solve a goddamn thing, but um, we certainly uh, commiserated on all that's going on in the world. So I enjoyed it. I hope you did too. Yeah. Send a letter to Evan. See you next week. Yes. Write to Evan. See you next week. Bye-bye.